here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host met Evan Wallace on the right Yes, she may be half as hype as she could take him in a fight So settle in, folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! Coming to you live from the Data Wonk Center of the Ditch Diggers Manor. It is the Ditch Diggers, Mer Lafferty, Matt Wallace, and our fairy pod mother, Gail Carriger. How's everybody Hi, doing? Everybody. How are you doing, Gail? How are you doing? Somebody say how they're doing. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to talk over Gail. I get very intimidated when Gail uh, is on the show because, as you pointed out, Gail was the inspiration for all. Gail's the reason for the Ditch Digger season. Mm -hmm. So it's very awe-inspiring always to have Gail on the show, so I don't want to talk over Gail. But I'm doing well. I'm doing very well, Mark. Thank you for asking. And we will explain what the hell a data walk center is later in the show, I promise. Yes, we will. And you can explain Gail, how to are me, you? too. Yes, I'll try. Gail, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm super excited to be here and see your lovely faces and say hi. It feels like forever since I've seen either of you in person or online. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I listen to you, of course. The the fairy god, uh, the fairy god, whatever I am, person is uh, is always listening. Oh. But uh, it's nice to be back. Yes, if you if, if Matt wants to make me terrifying, I'm happy to perform terror for you. No, but what you can terrifying, terrifying, yeah, terrifying in that very like luminous, you know, attractive, slightly erotic uh, Galadriel <laughs> from like Lord of the Rings, you know. Oh. Did you just ask Arr. our guest to become er erratic and erotic and Galadriel? -like? Did I say erotic? No, I, I mean, think I did. Are, I messed it up. Those are I always options. Her. Those are always options on the show. So I do anyway, like we erratic go and them. erotic. It can be erratically erotic. Yeah. It'll be a new genre very, that we create. Ancient, it's very ancient Greek god-ish. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about the, <laughs> the, the, the god pod uh, aspect of this, this sort of capricious, like, I'll just swoop in and, I don't know, sleep sleep with all of your pop vinyl dolls? I don't, I don't no, know. That's, <laughs> no, yeah, I love it. Horny, chaotic god energy is what we're all about is it? around here. I just I made it. I called an audible, and it is now. I'm going to write down a new t-shirt idea. Horny, chaotic. What'd you god say? Energy. God energy. Horny, chaotic god energy. Alias like pants. Is what uh. we're all about. So I did something but, weird the other day, and I don't think this is craft. I think, I, I, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, there's a thing I've been wanting to write for a long time, and I keep, telling myself i keep talking myself out of it because it's too weird and then i'll go and see a weird thing on the shelves or a weird thing on the bestseller list or a weird thing on tv and i'm like well fuck why do i stop myself from doing that so i gave myself a pseudonym i opened up a different word processing program and i i, I chose a different font i tried to do the comic sans trick and I wrote like 3,800 <laughs> words of my weirdest shit story last week. 
And nice. I'm hoping that I, and I don't know if I'll publish it or if I'll publish it with a pseudonym or not. I just wanted to get into a different mindset and not be Mer Lafferty writing this. I wanted to be my pseudonym, which is really ridiculous. But I'm going to say it because I'm supposed to be embracing the ridiculous. My, my pseudonym is Red Arnica. Oh, I like it. Love mm-hmm. it. That's not ridiculous like at all. That's amazing. So yeah, I'm. I'm. That's that's uh, kind of what I've been up to. I'm trying to. Re- uh, uh, as I mentioned, I think before we started recording the podcast, uh, Matt and I got to spend some time together last weekend over the Fourth of July weekend, and that was fun. But then it took a long time for me to recover from that trip for a variety of reasons, including holiday. Um, uh, horrible migraine and family emergency that just kind of ate up my entire week last week. But I did get those 3,800 words written by Red Arnica down, and I'm calling that a win. That's totally a win. I mean, it was it that. It is a win. Yeah. It's that like famous I, Neil Gaiman quote, right? It's like, you know, house burned down, dog ran away, grandma died, but I wrote 1,500 words, so it's a victory. I have not heard that <laughs> quote, but I like it. It was a tweet, maybe. I'm totally paraphrasing it, but the sentiment is is true to the the spirit of what Neil came and wrote. Anyway, okay. but that's all amazing, Mer. I love the pseudonym. I love that you did that. I think it's important to shake things up and get away from yourself every now and then, you know, change the perspective. So I fully support all of these things. Thank you. Absolutely. What have you been up to, Matt? Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of the same things you, you were, because like you said, we hung out mm-hmm. over the 4th of July weekend, played a bunch of board games. Uh, it also took me a long time to recover when we came, came back from that. I don't think I accomplished much last week, but, uh, chug it along, man. Signed, uh, signed a new deal. I can't talk about yet, but I'm Dude. excited about it. I'm excited to announce that, uh, soon, hopefully. You and... don't tell me anything. No, I've already told you about it. You oh. just forgot. Um, I just forgot. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You're going through a lot. It's, it's not a big deal. No, but so things are, things are happening. They're progressing. Um, I kind of want to get back to writing. I felt like I, I prepared a bunch of pitches and a bunch of proposals and a bunch of sample chapters on things and finished, you know, editing a couple of books. And then for the last few weeks, at least I haven't, I've been working on research for things, but I haven't actually, you know, pounded the keys and I, I feel like I need to get back. I mean, I write every day for the video games. It's not right. like I'm not writing, but in terms really? of like novel, novel writing specifically, I want to get back to doing that. I may even try to write a short story more. I'm at a short story, Mer. I may take your, I may take inspiration and example from you and kind of get outside myself and do something that I don't usually haven't done for a long time. Cool. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And what have you been up to in the past, well, since we last saw you, which is months, possibly years. But anyway, recently, what have you been up to, Gail? I was trying to think, when when did I last talk to you guys officially on a pod, on one of the pods? I, I, I don't remember. I want remember. to say it was the Feminist um, Hero's Journey, but I don't remember whether that was, was I should be writing or... No. It yeah. couldn't have been. Surely not. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. It's, I mean, I could have talked to you about it like after that, but it came out in, I think it came out in October of 2019. So it was probably within the 2020s at some point. So yeah, so it's been three years. Oh, this is what happens when events aren't happening. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. You can uh, also just I, tell us the past I, week if you want. What the past week? Uh, well, uh, right now I'm releasing a trilogy. So that's kind of occupying all of my time. And I think a little bit like you guys, I'm a little worried that I haven't been writing like fresh fiction words a lot. Um, But I'm sort of learning in my old age to sort of to let myself 
if it's there are periods of time where I don't don't write or I don't want to write or I'm too distracted by something else in life or whatever to write and that's okay. Uh, I will get it back. I will write again. I've written before and I can write in the future, you know? So I'm, yeah. Don't so threaten me with a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's launch right now. And I'm learning that launch for indie stuff just takes up so much of my brain power that, um, that I really don't have anything left to do any creative writing. And, but eventually my, that, that side of my brain will be like, wait, we haven't written, we haven't written, we haven't written. And then I'll take a shower and suddenly have to write a million things or something like that. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, that hasn't happened yet. So mostly launch stuff. I came up with what I thought was the brilliant idea of launching three books. So basically back to back. And uh, and it's maybe we'll see after they're all out, whether it's a brilliant idea or not. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually a little confused because I remember I wanted to get Divinity 36. Is that... Did I say that right? Okay. Yes, um, that is the first yes, one. Yes, thank you. Divinity 36. And then when I searched for it again today, I suddenly saw like a whole bunch of them. And I'm like, wait a minute. I just, I thought there was one coming out. So I was, I was excited <laughs> to see the others, but got slightly confused. Yeah. So you really did yeah. like all on the same day or? No, no, no. Okay. So um, Demigod 12, which is the second one in the series is up for pre-order. So, um, so Divinity 36 is out. And Demigod 12 is up for pre-order, but it comes out at the beginning of August. So August 1st is it releases. And then the final one, which hasn't been officially announced yet, it will release shortly thereafter. Again, I'm doing one every two months, basically. And, uh, you know, kind of like the Jeff Vandermeer Annihilation schedule. And that did. Yeah, it it, this is me, and this this brings us to our title, Data Wonk, which is like I am always interested in the data, and so I'm usually testing something when I'm launching a book. I write enough um, to be able to like play with my releases in ways that like challenge or buck the system or buck tradition or whatever. So there's like two accepted practices in play for launching. One of which is, for lack of a better term, we would call the traditional model which is at most one book a year if you're really lucky. But that used to be my schedule when I was mostly or, you know, 90% traditional. It was pretty much one book a year for me. That's that's what Orbit had me on or Little Brown. Um, and that's because I write fast for a, a trad author. <clears throat> and then there's the like rapid release model, which is for like indie specific genres, usually those that are um, exclusive to Amazon and, and they can they, that is one book a month or about that, uh, which I cannot write. That's way too fast for me. <laughs> I don't say, oh, I can't. There's no way I could ever do that model, or, nor do I really think I want to. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I wrote these three books kind of all as one back to back. And I was like, okay, well, now I have three books to play with. Uh, so I'm going to try something entirely outside of the box, which is one book every two months, specifically to see if I can hack the what's called the honeymoon period, where a mm. book is super popular during the first couple of weeks, if you can mm -hmm. get enough bandwidth going, and then you have this sort of tail off of that and you that that's the algorithms are no longer serving your title to people when they search and all that sort of a stuff so like i want to see if i can hack that additional month to carry the book to when i want the second book to release um using various techniques so that's what i'm doing and i've, I've started the some of those techniques up because we're in the second month of the first book's release and 
I'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'll report back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's me. I, I love data. We, we haven't really talked about this before, but it's no. like one of my favorite. So I, I'm like, yes, I've got a, it's, <clears throat> it's a slightly embarrassing question, but, um, it's basically, if you're somebody who gets easily discouraged, how can you look at, at data and see it as a tool and not a neon sign that you suck? Ooh. <laughs> Is it pink neon at least? Is it fun neon? Like a, I, I see it as like a pink and yellow kind of mix. Basically, yeah, you know, like, interesting. instead of saying... I'm going to look at the data and see where things are weak and things things where I can improve stuff. I'm the kind of person that looks at it. Okay. Like Premi just said in the chat, every time I look at my data, I'm like, I should go back to trade school and become a welder. It's, uh, you know, I've been thinking about my podcast numbers and every time I try Mm -hmm. to, I, so I, every time I, I look at the numbers and then I try to tweak something and change something and I, and I put the effort into it and then, then suddenly it becomes a big emotional storm of nothing works. It's all terrible. I don't ever want to look at data again because it just shines a light on my, uh, bad qualities. But you're just like this science. Is- you're just like, look at the data. I can do, I can tweak things. I have power. Yeah. Well, this is really interesting because I think this is like a course, the Gale as a scientist training kicks in immediately, which is for those who don't know, uh, I'm an archeologist by training, uh, which means social science, but I always remind people that I'm like the, the science side of archeology. span I was literally in a lab testing things. I have a master's of science is one of my, one of my degrees. Um, and it's in materials analysis, which is inorganic materials. So ceramics, glass, metal, that sort of thing. Um, I used to cut ancient artifacts up and stick them into very fancy machines that go beep and learn a lot about how they were made. That, that was what I did. Um, but As a scientist, one of the things we're pretty drilled into, the good ones anyway, is that failure is a data point. Like failure tells me something very, very important. Like it's it's as important as success in science. And there's a confirmation bias problem with the reporting. So the scientific results that end up being reported to the public tend to be mostly the successful ones, Mm -hmm. but the unsuccessful ones are also really, really important. And so I look at like a failure at something I've tested with my books as the, oh, great, I don't have to do that. And I'll give you an excellent example of this, which is I track all of my data when I do launches, when I can track it, which is when it's a not traditional book, when it's an indie published book, which is frankly why I started indie publishing. I started indie publishing way back in 2016 with mm-hmm. my short stories just so I could have data, just so I could know Um, And literally, I wanted to know what social media platforms were effective. So if I can track the data, I at least know who's clicking in these different social media platforms and if they buy the book off of that click. Like, it's really simple. It's relatively easy to track for me anyway. Um, And so I started with short stories and, and and I knew probably around 2018 that Twitter is ineffective for selling books, for me anyway. I do not reach my audience there. Lots of people click when I talk about a new book on Twitter, but they don't buy. So I was like, oh, you're just checking out what's going on, are you? <laughs> like, So <laughs> I've known well before Twitter zero or whatever we're calling this recent exodus, um, 
that Twitter was never a platform that was effective for me. It was always a platform where I could go and chat with a, with fellow authors and some of my fans were there, but like, it's not effect. It's not a place that's worth my time because it's my job to be an author and to write books that people buy. And if I am like partying in an ecosystem where as, as an author, you know, not for fun, I do have, there's certainly social media I play on for fun, not as Gail, but if I'm on something as Gail and it's not actually effectively selling my books, then I don't need to be on that platform. Uh, so I'd given Twitter up a long time ago when when um, when everybody else started to do it, to do it because I'd already had the data and and that's what I. So you could look at Twitter as a failed experiment, or or you could look could look <laughs> at it as like oh nobody likes me on Twitter or something like I don't know I don't I don't I'm like one of those weirdos who doesn't have imposter syndrome but like you can definitely see it as a bad thing but I was basically like okay I don't have to spend any time on Twitter great I'm like <laughs> can I, awesome. that's very liberating can I do a follow up on that not just specifically imposter syndrome focused but see. I would probably look at that data and think, what am I doing wrong on Twitter? So ah. how do you get the point where you realize I have done everything, Twitter is not working, and when do you say, I'm doing Twitter wrong, how do I do it right? That's a good, that's good. Okay. We're getting, we're getting deeply weedy all of a sudden here. Like the first, I wrote it down. I know. I know. Like the first and most important thing for author, for an author to know any author who's on social media is that they should enjoy the platform that they're on or they shouldn't bother. Right. Like that's the most important thing. Cause if you're not going to use it, cause you don't like it, then there's no point in you being on it. Right. Cause I feel like that telegraphs in engagement and being invested in the platform is is part of it right so if mm -hmm. you don't like it you don't like facebook get off facebook don't be on facebook like that that's that, that, that like but if it's something that you're like mildly engaged with like i kind of liked twitter originally because it was yeah. text-based i'm an author text is cool other authors were there i could be snappy and witty and say something cute about tea um so you know <laughs> i was happy to be on twitter um but yeah um so that's the first thing, like, and then putting that aside, um, how do you know if it's the platform's fault <laughs> is what you're asking. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think like understanding that the, the, the social media game is a, is a game. Like you were, it is like a board game you're playing with this company and they have algorithms in place. They have uh, things that they prioritize. They can shadow ban you at any, like all of these things are in place that are not something we as humans really think about or hack mm -hmm. and if you're not sort of naturally playing the game if you haven't kind of osmosed the rules without having read the book <laughs> like, like then you're you're there's no way you can be good at a board game when you don't know what the rules are right, right. so like it's like going in, it's a crapshoot because all of the rules are obfuscated from us. So it's kind of a matter of like, can I make this fun for myself not knowing the rules? Mm -hmm. And can I win it to the best of my ability? And if my ability doesn't jive with me winning it, then then I'm not going to be good at it anyway, right? Like there's, I don't want to change myself and how I interface and how I enjoy an online environment in order to satisfy, like, that's just, it's just not going to, I won't, then, then the first rule of thumb will be defeated, right? It won't be fun. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
I won't, I won't want to go on anyway. So like that's, that's kind of part of it. And then there's like, how much do you enjoy hacking and playing by rules or not playing by rules or whatever, you know, like there are certain people whose personalities are innately like rebellious and they just don't like the system. They don't like the idea of the system at all. I tend to be one of those people who's like, I would like to try to figure out the system and see if I could hack it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like to see if I could play by the rules and still win. Um, so coming up against a barrier like Twitter set before me, which was essentially like you are reaching the wrong people. You're not reaching people who want to buy your book on Twitter. I immediately was like, well, Twitter has served me to the wrong people and or I'm interacting with mostly other authors who are just like curious about my cover art, you know, like and that's fine. But it means that like it's not it's not my fault. It's that like we it's like a relationship, right? Like we're basically incompatible <laughs> in the bedroom or what have you. Like, <laughs> oh, this didn't we were dating for a while, but like it got to the kissing and I was like, no, 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 you don't kiss well. Uh, we're out. I'm out. We're off. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of that kind of thing. So I don't I don't really see it as a as a failure in general. I, I'm more likely to see it as a failure of the of the platform that didn't accommodate what I wanted it to do. And so I'll just go somewhere else. I think this is generally a, a good attitude for, for writers in general, because like it's, it's part and parcel with understanding that your author voice and your style as an author is not for all readers either. Yeah. Right. And, and if, my readers, my type of reader, my demographic of reader, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it, isn't in that sphere. So why should I be also? Um, I mean, it, it has had some negative consequences. Like I have to hang out on Facebook. Uh, that's where my, my readers are. That's where my fans have collected. Like I just have to be on Facebook. I don't love Facebook, but I've made it work for me um, in, you know, but, but so so there are there are side effects which is and because i'm constantly collecting and processing data i know how effective facebook is for me like i know exactly how many people click on my links and go buy my book when i post about it on facebook so i have to stay on facebook but you just um, said you had to have fun on the social media i do but that but see for me that's part of the fun the fun is being like if i phrase this hook about this book in this way how many people click but if i phrase it this way how many people click you know like i'm constantly running like tiny little scientific tests on my audiences <laughs> don't tell them i think they know we will tell um, them but, yeah and, and i enjoy that part that's the part i've learned to enjoy is to be like because i have three spheres on facebook and i'm constantly tracking which of those three is the most effective and i'm kind of like Oh, it's really interesting that this one, which Facebook has been intentionally trying to kill the author page, mm -hmm. the business page, um, is still the most effective. And I was like, Facebook has been really gunning for it. And yet it's still working for me best um, when I have a fan group of, of 40,000 and Facebook's been intentionally trying to get groups to be a bigger deal lately. Um, but that group is still not as it's fun. That is fun. I do love my fan group. I love hanging out there, but it's not as effective as my page still, although the page has way fewer uh, eyeballs on it. So, you know, like, and, and that's like, Ooh, that's very interesting. Oh, hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but for me, this is all a game of time. 
So, you know, I always think about like, what is my time worth and the time that I'm spending on these platforms? Like, what is it worth? And so I'm always trying to triage for efficiency. So for me, the end game is where can I spend the least amount of time for the most value add as a career author? Right. And um, and that's why I'm always testing these things. Of course, it takes time to set up the tests, but I like that bit. So <laughs> they don't want. They so don't have want. you have you experimented with other platforms? Because I'm sure a lot of people. All of them. All of them. You've done all of them. I guess. If I can track it. If I can track it, I'm probably testing and experimenting on it. Um, I probably, I've also probably run some ads at some point or another because I'm interested in testing ad platforms as well. Um, yeah, what I have as an author is a vast backstock of books, which is uh, testing for me. Like that means I have all of these books, and I can I can see if. I do something that activates backstock at any point in time. And I and I I have all of my trad books, which I sort of think of as lost leaders now because I can't track them because, you know, publishing yeah. doesn't tell me that. I, I read mm -hmm. my royalty reports, but that's not informative yeah. on what's been effective or not. Um, but so they're all acting as sort of driving organic sales. They're doing their thing. I, so I think of them as sort of lost leaders, basically. And then I have all my Andy stuff, which now is almost as might be more books than I have in trad. And those I can like be experimental with and run a sale or do with this or you know, run an ad campaign or what have you. And then I can test it and see if if that area is. So I'm, I, I mean, I also like to own my name in whatever, you know, so I like my, I like to control my SEO, which, and control my brand, which means when a new platform opens up, I usually jump on it. Mm -hmm. If it's public facing, I usually jump on it and just get Gail Carragher because I don't want anybody else to have it and pretend to be me. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I woke myself around to like seeing if if anything I enjoy doing works on that platform. Uh, TikTok has been a real struggle for me because I don't like the little snippet video. I'm not a consumer of it. So I'm trying to figure out ways I can create it organically without me having to like stitch or respond to people or anything. And I just don't, I just not sure that it will ever be a platform I really enjoy, but it's also very hard to track. So I'm not wild about TikTok, but yeah, I pretty much get on everything and see what it's like. Dabble. Yeah, I think You're I just dabbling. followed you on Blue Sky. Blue Sky? I'm not on Blue Sky. No, I thought I just, I thought you were on the list. That if is, there all, is there already a Gail character? Maybe, I don't know. Somebody's, Matt, someone's pimped my identity. Matt, you talk, I'll look. See if I completely wrong. I don't even know what Blue, what is Blue Sky? That's that is the, the that's the Twitter alternative of the week, basically. Oh, the the. It's in, I think it's still in beta. It's still invite only at this point, right? Yeah, it's 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 done by the team that left Twitter. Yeah. Oh. So it's 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 Cute. the closest thing to Twitter that I have found. So. I mean, UI wise, a lot of people are also saying it's poorly moderated and very white person centric. And yeah, just, I mean, honestly, just the standard pattern at this point. It's like a new platform opens, everybody gets really excited about it, and everybody's like, wait, wait, it's actually shitty too. So, and I'm find, not saying yeah, find all the shit wrong. about it. Yeah, but this is the other side of my personality, which is a terribly reluctant adapter, which is like the war. The, these two parts of me war are at war. Uh, I'm a real Luddite. I hate new technology. I hate it. Right. Uh, I don't want to learn it. Uh, I always say that I don't like to do something I'm not good at. And I always feel like when you enter a new technological realm, you're immediately not good at it. And yeah. then I'm just mad. Um, 
I'm not mad at myself. I'm mad at the platform. <laughs> no, I get that. I think you should be mad at the platform. We did have a question from uh, Chad to follow up on something you were talking about, Gail, which is what ads did you try specifically? Facebook, Google? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All of them. Uh, All I tried of them. Google ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, AMS ads, um, Pinterest. No, probably something else. Probably other things. I don't think I ever tried Twitter ads, but I did join a Twitter promo campaign at one point, and that got me my blue check mark, which I've now lost. Oh, what was me? Mm -hmm. um, uh, same. <laughs> but there it is. Uh, so I've, I've sort of done some some dabbling in it. Um, but yeah, the I had actually had some success with Facebook, but this was too long ago. This was prior to Facebook Zero. Um, but I did have some good success with Facebook for a while there, but I haven't really gotten back into it because it does spend fast and hot. And so I feel like you need to be real careful. I would need to take like a month to really figure it out again. I just don't have that kind of time. Uh, so I tend to default to AMS, but I tend to use AMS, Amazon's ad system for um, for testing, for doing something different than most other people use it for. Like I'll do it to test book hooks to see, you know, elevator pitches. Mm -hmm. right. um, so I'll run ads with different possible elevator pitches in it and see which ones get the most clicks. I, I usually get purchases off of those clicks, but um, but what I'm really testing is which phrasing works well. And then I'll turn around and put that phrasing in my like book description or on my oh, website. That's fucking brilliant. Diabolical, Gail. Wow. I know, I know, I know. Um, so where are but you? If I'm gonna run if we can ask, where are you advertising uh, your current trilogy? Mostly within AMS. So, um, so this one I didn't do any ads initially because uh, I'm I have pretty good organic reach and I don't want to muck about with the reader base that sort of sets the algorithms for me, which is my own reader base. So they like right. go in. Um, their purchase history will be associated with this book. I tend to think that that's fine um uh, even if they read widely because I, I i'm very much a cross-genre author i don't ever nest really firmly in any genre so um trying to niche into in this case young adult space opera with the music industry slash k-pop overtones like that there isn't a cat there, that category doesn't exist <laughs> it should <laughs> doesn't this is it this is the book in that category um so niching down which is what amazon really wants you to do is to get as specific as possible and frankly bookstores as well bookstores want to know who your comp titles are where you sit on a shelf all that sort of a thing um it doesn't it doesn't work for me and it never has worked for me so already i have to play outside of the box um so all of that to say i let my fan base like figure out the algorithms to start with, which usually means the book gets dominantly associated with all of my other books, which is fine because I'm mostly selling to my existing readers to start with. Um, then advertising kicks in when you want to try and get new readers. So you know, I only would suggest ever using advertising on the first book in a series or standalones or whatever, mm -hmm. because um, discoverability means you want it, you want it for the, the first book. Um, so even as additional books come out in this series, I'll only ever be advertising this one. Um, and that's and I, I get to say all of this because I have a pretty good uh, like handle on my fan base and my reader, my, right. my devoted reader. I'm pretty good at reaching them. I, I don't I don't struggle to reach them. They, they all belong to my newsletter or they follow me in, in some arena that allows them to know that I have a new book out. 
my sense of failure will kick in when a reader says, I love Gail Carragher and I didn't know she had a new book out. That's when I feel like I failed at my job. I am an author. That's the one job I had is to make sure that people who like me can read my new books. Right. That's it. Because as a reader, that's all I want. I only want to know when an author has a new book out so that I can go read it. Like when my favorite author writes something new, I want to know about it. And so uh, I have failed to reach the core solidity of a reader if if one of my readers didn't know I had a new book. So that's when I do get a sense of failure. But apart from that, uh, and that doesn't happen very often, thank heavens. Um, anyway, so back to the ad. So I will be running two kinds of ads on this book, and they just started up, actually. So they haven't really kicked in yet. Um, and those two kinds of ads are called sniper ads and, and BB ads or scatter ads. Uh, scatter ads are the ones that most everybody does on Amazon. Um, snipers are the really unusual ones, and those are the ones that are me being very experimental. So, and you know, we could get weedy about them, but you have to know about Amazon ads to really understand the difference between them. But yeah, and then I will I'll maybe think about Facebook ads. I'm not sure. Um, I really am scared of Facebook ads. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I want to make Let's Get Weedy one of our new t-shirts, so you should mark that down. <laughs> um, I'm writing it down right now. Uh, we have another uh, question from Catwood in the chat, which is, Gail, have you ever tried working with a PR group for outreach? Mm, I have thought about it. I am a bit of a control freak. Are we surprised? No. <laughs> um, might even be a little OCD, uh, undiagnosed. But yeah, um, so one of the reasons I turned to indie publishing is because I like the control it gives me. I like, I like this. I like being able to track every aspect of it. I like being able to go in and tweak the description in a minute. If I feel like it, I like being able to make internal copy edit fixes to it and then just re-uploading the, <laughs> the manuscript in yeah. five seconds, that it's all that, that one typo isn't left in perpetuity. So I, I like all of those aspects. Um, I'm not one of those authors who freaks out about cover art or anything like that. I I do have contract workers for all of that stuff. Um, but the the immediacy of the control, I think, and the efficiency of it is what I really am attracted to. So when it comes to PR, I feel like nobody knows my family as well as I. Oh, sorry about that. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to me because when you were talking about ads, I started thinking like even before on Twitter, even before the takeover, you know, by Little Lord Apartheid Emerald Fuck Pants, and when the promoted ads got like really right wing and annoying, even before all that, I'd gotten into the habit of flat out just blocking promoted yeah. tweets on site, right? Like, and a lot of people do that. I know a lot of people do that because they they scream yeah. about it a lot. And now it's even worse. But then I, I but I was also thinking it's and I've never really keyed in on this before but like when i'm an insta when i'm on instagram i see cool shit that i click on all the time and it doesn't bother me and i and i never really stopped to and i don't know if that's just me it could just be a personal thing but i never stopped to consider why that is like why does it annoy me so much on twitter why do i block them on site why do i click on them on instagram are the ads just better am, am i seeing more relevant things to me am i not am i trained to view the apps yeah. differently and i wanted to get your perspective on that gail because you're very smart about these things i think this is interesting too because i do the same thing 
I've always interfaced with Twitter in a curated way. So I jump on Twitter and then I don't look at like who I'm following. I immediately look at one of my lists, which is curated out. So like, like I have a shareables list, which is like stuff that's from accounts that I often share, like hedgehogs and Victorian dresses and things like that. Um, and then I have actual friends list, which if I've ever talked to one of you on Twitter, that is where you came off of. Um, and then, you know, instead like actual friends means I've met you in real life. <laughs> and uh, so on and so forth. Um, so I've always interfaced. I, I try to curate my personal experience of a platform as much as possible to make it bearable. You're right about Instagram, though. The interesting thing about Instagram is it gets even me. Like, there'll be a really cute cat video, and I'll press that like button, and then I'll realize it was an advertisement. And I was, and I'm like, damn it, I told the algorithm something. Curses. Right. Um, but yes, uh, uh, Instagram is the only platform. No, Facebook once, but Instagram's the only platform I've like bought more than one thing off of. Mm -hmm. So they actually did get me in as far as money. And I think part of it is when you're on IG, you're like trained into a visual element. So if mm -hmm. the visual is really good, if it's a good enough ad in that visual capacity, then it, it can get you because that's what you're enjoying. You're enjoying these little serotonin hits of these cute images or cover arts or pretty bookshelves or whatever it is that you're getting. Um, and yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the great power of TikTok is they've learned how to activate that to the 11th degree. Their algorithm is like particularly good at that, at knowing its ecosystem and serving what you really want to see and then gauging eyeball reaction to that ecosystem. Yes, you're so but good, think, Gail. You're so damn good. Uh, You're so smart. It just kills me. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Like marketing is so interesting to me. I think it has to do, I think it circles back around to my original profession, which is archaeology, but archaeology comes under anthropology and cultural anthropology and like human behavior and how we respond to uh, input and, and that sort of thing. I just find it really, really interesting. Um, and I always argue myself into it. And I think a lot of authors have a problem with this part of it. And so like Gail puts on the counseling hat, like, here's the thing is if you think of yourself as a reader and not an author for a moment, you do want to read the next great book. Like that's what you want. All we want in life is to read a really great freaking book. Mm -hmm. um, so if your book is great, like you getting it into people's hands and into pe under people's eyeballs means you have made them happy. <laughs> like you have succeeded in giving them a great book and yeah. it's what they want. So like, you're not tricking them. It's not insidious. Like they get the book, they love the book. Everyone is happy. Um, and it's like all of these platforms and all of these other things are working against you to stop you from getting them the great book. So it's like you battling against the system to get them the book. Uh, yeah. That's, really that's, fan that's your, how I look at it. You're fanfic <laughs> writing your own superhero story. No, that's amazing. Yes, that's exactly what's I happening like it. here. And it's amazing. No, and I that's why like I always get you know, on Twitter, you they, they have the concept of the promo tax. You know, it's like, oh, I promoted my book, so now I have to post a cute dog picture to make up for promoting my book. And I, you know, I get it. And it's not even a bad thing to do because people love dog pictures, but just that idea of like promoting your book is a bad thing to do or something you have to apologize for. I resent that attitude so much. And yeah, I try I to I, I try to counsel authors against it. It's like it's part of it's part of the gig, man. And like you just said, Gil, you're trying you're trying to give people what they want. You know, you just you can't go to each of their houses specifically who are interested in your book and tell them. So you have to cast a wide <laughs> net. But it's it's part of the yeah. gig. It's, yeah, it's totally it fine. Is, it is. And also, like, how do I put this? Um 
I think it's I, I think it's not even just an author problem. I think it's an artist problem in general. Mm. And I think it's like it's tied to this idea, this like really. And I think, frankly, publishers prey on us because mm -hmm. of this attitude as well, which is this idea that it's somehow dirty to want your stuff to be read and to be successful like mm -hmm. like you're supposed to do it for the art of it like mm -hmm. no absolutely I, I, we can on this podcast right like fuck oh, off yeah like literally yeah. fuck off like that that is terrible and it's and it goes back to this idea of like artists are patronized right like they have they have a rich person who has a real job who like gives them money to create their paintings or their poetry or whatever. And like, no, you want your shit to be read by people who will love it. And you want them to pay fair market value for that. Like, that's not like, I would like to make my living at this. And this is maybe part of it is like, as I have told my readers on more than one occasion, you know what? I, I am not one of those authors who's who's this is the only thing they're good at. I'm I'm good at a lot of shit. Like I don't have to write. I will never stop writing, but it doesn't have to be my job. Like I can to go do something else. So buy my damn book if you want me to keep writing more books. Like I'm sorry, it's a pretty simple contract. My book costs like in ebook form the price of a couple of lattes. Like, come on. Buy the book. <laughs> like, buy the damn book. No, you're right. One, yeah. you are one hundred percent right. And spitting fire and dropping truth bombs and whatever else the kids say. Yeah, days. I know, I know. I like, I it like. Is, it is an intentional malicious thing that is. Yeah, no, it's malicious and it's intentional. Like we're. We, it like, is it, malicious. The, yeah. yeah. The industry devalues us. The public swallows that, and everybody develops the attitude of like you should not expect and you don't deserve to be paid for your work. It's just enough to create yeah. it, which is a completely bullshit attitude. And that's, you know. Which is why I have a Hollywood is on strike right now. I <laughs> was literally just gonna say that. That's why every professional screenwriter in the fucking country is on strike right now. Because of the, because yeah. that attitude yeah. has extended to all industries to become so insidious, it's making it impossible to make a living as a writer in any industry now. So yeah, fuck yeah. that shit. Like, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah fuck that fuck noise. That but also like, artist heal thyself like writer heal thyself mm -hmm. like it's okay like I, I don't know if you need me to say this to you but i'm going to say it to you it's okay to want to make money off of your books yeah. uh off of your short stories it's it's okay you get to do that <laughs> you get to want it um and i mean admittedly i have spent a lot of time training my readers to expect this like i've oh i'm like really frank with them especially in my newsletter where i'm just like yeah, like I will ask them to do things for me when I'm like in a pitched battle with Amazon about something or whatever. I'll just I'll just be like, look, here's what's going on. I need you to help me fight. Like help me fight. Um, and and yeah, and I, like I have never had a single complaint about the cost of my books, for example. Mm -hmm. Like they are very good little minions. <laughs> um, and and like if they come, like I I will occasionally get I don't know. A, an ill-trained romance reader onboarding who's like, wait, I, I expected a free book when I joined your newsletter. And I'm like, you got a free short story. Enjoy the short story. You can buy my books. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm yeah. just like, I'm just not gonna, yeah. I'm like, and, and here's why. Like, I, I have blog posts where I break down exactly what percentage of like money I get from the sale of a book. I, I have blog I have blog posts where I value like, like, which which platforms I make the most money out of. Um, and, and let me just say, much as I love them, libraries are really low on a list, for example, when you're thinking up pure market value of, of you know, 
cost per sale. No, that's totally um, fair. I love having my books in libraries. I completely encourage people to request them in libraries, check them out of libraries. But if you're if you're boiling down to the bottom line, that's that's a totally accurate statement. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but that I mean that but that is the like nuance of the conversation and the reason yeah. I have to blog posts and have to like put this kind of thing on my newsletter is I have to then explain like yeah, but I've also done discoverability data checks and foot traffic into libraries and bookstores is still like the second most popular way people find new books. Mm -hmm. Right. So and new authors. So being in those places is really important if you're if you're earlier on in your career, especially. So it does have value. It's yeah. just uh, not like immediately monetary, you know. Yeah, I've, no, I've always I mean, viewed... yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, I'm good. I I've always felt that the library was uh, a necessary on the reader standpoint, and b from an author standpoint, it feels like a long tail kind of thing. Because yeah. the hope is that if you discover me in the library and you check me out of the library, hopefully you will become a fan. And down the road, when you feel like buying a book, it'll be one of mine. Or you want to gift a book, it'll be one of mine. It's yeah. not, uh, you know, I don't, I, especially, you know, when it's, when it's personal budget based, I would never yes. re reject anybody or not reject, but you know, put down anybody for checking my book out of the library. I'd love, I'd delighted about it, but, um, you know, especially if you're part of the trad model where you're being released in hardback first or yeah. something along those lines, or if you're YA where your, um, you know, customer for lack of a better word, doesn't have their own income. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, middle grade, very, very dependent on libraries. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. I have a lot of librarian reader fans in because you know Solus won the Alex Award and a bunch of other things. I've always had like huge librarian support at my back, for which I am incredibly grateful. Oh yeah, um, because they are also like vocal advocates for a book they really love. That's what mm. that's another thing. Libra librarians are often also bloggers and all of these other. Oh things. yeah, so, yeah. Um, librarian support is also invaluable uh, for all that they are struggling a lot these days. I, I remember having a conversation with a librarian. Uh, this has struck me so much. And I, I talk about I've talked about it before and I'll probably talk about it again on, on social media at, at all. But a librarian one, I, I wasn't complaining. I was just amused in this way I get as a data wonk, um, where I was like, well, so this is the most stolen book aside the year, like the year it came out or the year after it came out, aside from like the Bible and a couple of other things. And I was like, I don't know, or maybe it was the most stolen sci-fi fantasy book or something. I was like, I don't know what that says, but it's an interesting accolade to have under my belt. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Then, That's amazing. And then my, my YA stuff was, was frequently stolen as well. And uh, a librarian said to me at one point that, uh, Kids in particular steal books that they need, but are too scared for their parents to know about. And I was like, ah, <laughs> okay, uh, I guess it's good that my my stuff gets stolen. Because my for those of you who don't know, like I write very lightweight, fun, silly stuff, but yes. it's always full of like found family and support and queer characters and representation. The idea being that like it goes out there and brings happiness and joy, but also shows people that they can have that kind of happiness in their lives. So I write 
comfort, basically. Yes. So the idea that people are stealing my books because they need to be comforted is like okay please steal my damn books okay fine yeah. um don't, no, one out of don't freaking and pirate them that's a whole other conversation but reason nine thousand um, why book bans are bullshit but that's a topic for another time i did want to point out that premium also made a very good point in the chat which is in terms of libraries as a purely like looking at it from a purely dollar perspective that's america in canada and also in the uk i believe authors yeah. do get uh money from library uh sales and checkouts and it's the system is much different there so that is you know it's it's very good point yeah, yeah very good point i just wanted to i wanted to toss that into the discussion yeah. but doesn't invalidate anything else that's been said yeah on a pure numbers game the the population makes a big difference too i mean it's oh, for sure. I, I, we got so this is so ditch diggery um <laughs> but like people are often asking me why i don't translate some of my stuff so I, my books do very well in translation my traditional stuff some the, the ones that have been translated which is most of the chad stuff um in specific territories and i know those territories because again i pay attention to my royalty reports and stuff like that and so i occasionally get pings for people who are like well you you're first couple of series did great in france like why don't you do a french translation for any of your um, in-world novellas in that universe and I'm always like, well, demographics, like it, it, there comes a point where it just doesn't make monetary sense on a purely fiscal policy. And one way to think about it is France has double the population of California, my home state. And how many of the, that's not a lot of people. And how many of those people read sci-fi fantasy? And how many of those people read my kind of steampunk quirkiness? Yeah. Like, it becomes a like it, and it's very expensive to get a french translation so like it, it, it be, these things do become numbers games so like thinking in terms of yeah you do make some money in uk library systems and things like that but also like there aren't that many libraries in general in the uk who are then likely to buy the book and put it out and put it out. like like again it's it's just like there's just as much smaller population there and of that, you know, so there are like as a like again pure numbers game in terms of number of readers in different locations. That that is, but that also explains why if you're working with a UK publisher primarily instead of a US publisher, your the advances tend to be smaller in the yeah. UK for for right. debut authors and things because it's just a smaller population of readers. Um, I do want to say, you, I, I believe you're talking about your self-published stuff, your indie stuff. Not You're not like turning down a French offer of a translation of your traditional work. No, no. Okay. That's I'm just, not, I'm just, that I'm just clarifying that yeah, because yeah, no, what you're talking sorry. about with the translation, that comes out of your pocket. Yeah, and so, I would have to pay for the translation up front in order to get my indie stuff to those markets. Yeah, yes, and that definitely doesn't, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense monetarily. No, and it's totally fine with me if a trad publisher wants to pay me for the translation rights. Yeah, and I've actually cut I've actually cut uh, translations rights deals for my indie stuff. So, like uh, Farsi, for example, this was very exciting to me. The Heroines Journey um, has an Iranian publishing house. Oh wow! Um, so, yeah, which was like that's my first. Like that's uh, great. The, uh, my traditional books have conquered something on the order of like 24 different languages and territories, but not that one. Mm -hmm. So my nonfiction one has gone into a territory that my my, um, my traditionally published fiction never never has. So that that's very exciting to me. And that was a peanuts deal. And I was like, sure. And it was like, we're talking 
500 bucks or something. And I was like, I don't care. Like, get it into another language by all means. Get right. it into a place in the world. Like, but but it's a it's an indie book, so I can make that decision. Where I was like, the idea of it being translated into Farsi was just so exciting to me because it it's a it's kind of a feminist um, rebuttal to Campbell, and so like mm-hmm. uh, it feels good to me that it would get a chance to be in that part of the world. So um, yeah, I, I mean. Yes, this is the the danger of being a hybrid author is that like when I talk about the data wonk side of the equation, like I can be talking about any any aspect of the book industry. So definitely check me and and ask questions and chat and stuff if I say something and you don't not clear on what what I'm talking about. Oh sure, oh, absolutely. And I would I I mean another thing I would love to get into is is the lack of data that authors receive in traditional publishing and the lack of transparency and how hard it is just to get simple numbers and also the completely the complete unreliability of like book scan in terms of tracking sales for traditional authors unfortunately we are coming up on the hour yeah. here and uh we are uh, going I'm very I I love everything we've covered today. this is like like you said it yeah but this is all dish diggery stuff this is why we do this podcast and it's been great information and very entertaining as it always is when you come on here and we will have to get you back sooner than another three years to talk about more of yes, these things. Please, anytime. You, yeah. you know I love it. I love it. I, I like, because I don't have a podcast that talks about the weeds of publishing. It, this is my only chance to pay it forward. Um, I don't, I don't operate as a public facing author in a teacher capacity a lot. And so, right. um, but I feel compelled after 15 years in this field to help authors protect themselves as much as possible. And so this is the vehicle I get to do that on. So like anytime Um, to briefly address that. Yes. So one of the reasons I left public, one of the reasons traditional publishing lost me as a front list author, and I was a front list author Mm -hmm. was because I I couldn't stand not having access to the information. Like they would have me do things like go on book tour and I would be like, yes, but did this help? (laughs) Was it effective? Like, Right. You just wasted two weeks of my life, like, in a not fun, the travel, like, seeing the fans was great, the actual traveling was terrible, like, was it monetarily worth my time? Like, show me the numbers, did this work? Yeah. Um, and they just don't, and I, and I just got really tired of that. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons. Um, and then the, the thing we were supposed to talk about was the fact that this book, uh, I actually sent out on sub, so it's been about six years since I was on sub with a new series. I'm out of option. These are all mm-hmm. technical track terms, but I'm right. out of option on both houses. So this one could go out on sub. Um, and it was a hilarious experience that I wanted to tell everybody about because, um, yeah, but if we don't have time, we'll have to leave it for another time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I want to say sidetrack, but not really. It's just, this is, it's such an expansive topic with yeah. so many facets to cover and I want to cover all of them. No, I absolutely, I'm totally serious. Let's get you back on soon. Yes. Like literally within the next, if you have time in the next few weeks, well, let's do a part two yes, of this episode. I'll come right back. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's- yeah. Well, I mean, you, you got another book coming out really soon, yeah. so we so can also go. coincide with that. Out, so what, what the hell? Why not? Um, but yeah, because it was a really, like, I do think it's important also for newer authors to realize that authors vary established in their careers. In front list authors, um, aka authors who make money for their publishers, can get rejected still. Um, so I think that's like an important thing for, for, for everyone to know about. Um, so yeah, I want to come back on and tell you that story. Cause yes, let's do part two and we'll do that story. I want to hear it. I want everyone to hear it. Plus we just, 
love talking to you. So there yes. it is. <laughs> so everybody who's been rejected recently and, and stinging and unhappy because of that, take that to heart. 57, everybody. 57 wow. rejections. Yeah. I didn't know there were 57 editors left in publishing. I know. <laughs> That's impressive. Wow. That is. It's very, I'm very impressed by all of that. Um, well, where can we find you online, Gail? Ah, well, uh, you can find me on my website. I tend to direct everybody there because the aforementioned, like, it depends on the social media. Um, so, yeah, gailcarriger.com is where you can find me, and you'll find this book front and center. Uh, if you want to give it a try, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is comforting. It is basically me kind of dealing with uh, the consequence of celebrity and parasocial relationships and stuff. But essentially, it is the story of a barista on a forgotten moon who sings along to the music on the entertainment unit and then gets recruited by aliens to become a god, which is sold. <laughs> sold. Awesome. Actually, I think I bought it earlier today, so <laughs> because it's you. But yeah, that's... Uh... Yes, be careful amazing. when you sing out loud. <laughs> Don't sing around your Siri. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. definitely not. How about you, Matt? Tell us where to find you just in case we have anybody listening for the first time. Uh, you know, I'm clinging to the dying throes of Twitter, still at Matt F. And Wallace. Uh, I'm on Insta at the same name. I'm on the blue sky at the same name. Uh, Premi is reminding me, don't forget to plug Savage Crowns. So I will do that. Uh, yeah. Savage Crowns just came out. It's the it's the third and final book in my Savage Rebellion trilogy. The trilogy is complete. You can go binge read the whole thing right now. And you absolutely should. I just did a full tour to promote it. And I have no data on the effectiveness of it. But I did have a good time with authors. <laughs> I did have a good time with authors like uh, Premi, who joined me for one of the stops. And uh, yeah, very proud of the the series and the book and uh, it's uh, hot hot off the presses right now so please do go do go do check that out and uh, I'm, you can always catch all of my updates regardless of which social media platforms rise and fall at matt-wallace.com um i still have some promotional tweets going out on the twitters i'm um pretty much everywhere i'm mighty mer you can find my blog and show notes at merverse.com and matt I just want to say I'm very proud of myself for not um, crashing your interview with Preemie because I was actually in the same room as you at one point. But I was you good were. because you guys were working hard to promote your stuff and I didn't want to be that asshole. So, but I really were always welcome over you and wave at Preemie. I do appreciate the restraint, but you were always welcome. We did have a dog come and join us at one point. I couldn't get Percy on camera, but I was sad about that. But yes, you were all welcome again. But thank you for, for the professionalism or... The, un the restrained professionalism. <laughs> All right. And we don't have a... Uh, I don't think I have anybody to raid, so we'll just go ahead and turn this off. Thank you guys very much for coming and hanging out and adding to the conversation. I love, love, love doing this on Twitch. Um, appreciate if you guys listening to this on recording, please come. Uh, Matt and I try to do about every other Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, twitch.tv slash mightymer. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks, Matt. Actually, we should and talk about whether we're going to do a birthday con a birthday stream because the next in two weeks it's the Monday before our birthday. That is true. We won't promise it right now, but let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. we'll and, talk and about also it. we're going to do a part two with Gail, so look for that. That's going to happen. I think early August would be a good idea. Yeah, for sure. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Matt.
Thanks, everybody. This podcast was produced under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Music provided by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com. Ditch Diggers! This is a free podcast brought to you by the kindness of our patrons. If you would like to also be kind and a patron, go to patreon.com slash mightymurr.